Welcome to the Reality Taboo Podcast. It's December 9th, 2023. I'm Jeff. Joining me is my co-host, Ness. We're going to discuss COVID generally and specifically the United States Army's mandate and subsequent repeal of the mandate for the COVID vaccine. We'll also discuss three of the most significant foreign policy events of the past four years, Afghanistan withdrawal, Russian invasion of Ukraine, and Israel-Hamas. So what got me interested in this topic uh, originally was this letter I came across dated January 10, 2023. It's uh, written by the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, announcing the repeal of the COVID-19 vaccine requirement for all service members. So the letter starts with talking about how successful the mandate was, how many lives were saved, how it improved the fighting force, and generally was a great thing. And yet, at the same time, it talks about how the repeal or how the man, how the vax is no longer required. So that just struck me as inherently contradictory. So I wanted to explore what uh, what was the original reason for the mandate and why did they repeal it? The reason for the mandate was to funnel money to the pharmaceutical industry. That was the reason for the mandate. The re- reason for the rescinding the mandate, I think it's a confluence of factors. For one thing, it came uh, in the beginning of this year, of 2023, which is right after the Republicans had retaken the House. And so it was a pretty easy sop, I think, politically to trade what had already kind of run its course. I think the pharmaceutical companies are happy. They, they wanted to shoot for the moon with the vaccine. And we've gone through those battles over the last couple of years. And ultimately they settled on kind of getting like a, a silver prize where the COVID regime of shots is going to be comparable to what they do with flu vaccines every year. They're not going to be able to mandate it across the entire country to everyone. Uh, the boosters have, have have come up short in that regard, but they haven't been a total failure. They can run parallel alongside the flu vaccines that come out each year. And so we'll have COVID shots each year. We'll have flu shots each year. Uh, But there are real, as we'll get into, real recruitment goal issues that the military is coming up short on. And the vaccine mandate is, was part of that. So rescinding the, the mandate made sense politically calling a vaccine is Orwellian um, they the definition of vaccine was actually changed to accommodate the COVID-19 mRNA quote vaccine it is not actually a vaccine as we traditionally known that word um, so the definition pre-COVID vax was quote a product this is from the CDC a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease, protecting the person from that disease. And after the COVID vaccine was foisted upon us, they changed the definition to, quote, a preparation that is used to stimulate the body's immune response against diseases. So, so, so effectively, it became a, a multivitamin. That's what that is. It's like taking a vitamin C pill. Ideally, this will help boost your immune system response to issue XYZ, but it doesn't actually have to offer full protection. And this technology, the MR, at least 
the uh, the Pfizer shot. Uh, I'm not sure on the other ones, uh, but that was mRNA technology, which the, the defenders of the VAX will say, well, this is technology that goes back decades. This is not, quote, new technology. But this is the first time it's been the technology has been used in humans. And there's a reason that vaccines take seven, eight plus years of trials just to be put on the market. This thing was put on the market in, what, a year, year and a half? Anyway, let's talk about the recruitment numbers in the military. So I have a few stats to get us started. Um, this is from the Military Times. From late 2021 to early 2023, the military services discharged roughly 8,300 troops from the active and reserve components, most of whom received general discharges and were welcome to serve in uniform again if they got vaccinated. So. From what I understand, it, uh, roughly 8,300 troops were discharged purely because they refused to get the shot. Um, and so I can't help but think that these that the recruitment numbers being uh, so below what, what they're shooting for has something to do with why they repealed uh, the mandate. What do you think about yeah, that, Thomas? So if we lost if 8,000 left uh, in response to the mandate that they didn't want to take. And we, we see that the Army was missing its recruiting goal by 15,000 soldiers. That that cuts the recruiting loss in half if you're able to get those vax-hesitant uh, people who left back into the military. But vanishingly few of them actually did come back upon the mandate being changed. So this might be like a Bud Light sort of situation where the people who have vaccine hesitancy or have the door shut on the military now and this letter to try to to bring them back in is not going to be much more effective than any of the other recruiting goals that the military has been pushing or the recruiting campaign that the military has been pushing that's coming up short on and i don't know maybe you don't think this even matters uh that it's logical or, or there's a rational reason for all of this but i couldn't help but notice the the January 2023 DOD memo that announces the repeal of the mandate starts with, quote, the department's COVID-19 vaccination efforts will leave a lasting legacy in the many lives we saved, the world-class force we have been able to field, and high level of readiness we have maintained amidst difficult public health conditions. So they're Everything saying, they say is a lie. <laughs> the military's performance has been was atrocious in Afghanistan. We have egg the the we have egg on our face from from leaving in Afghanistan and the the promises about victory and support of the Ukraine effort in Russia has is, is completely fallen apart, despite the fact that the United States bankrolled Ukraine to the extent that Ukraine was spending four times as much in that conflict that Russia's mopping the floor with. And so 96% of the force, they say, are full, is fully vaccinated. So that, obviously, uh, 96% is far... That number is... There's no way that 96% of the force would have chosen to get vaccinated. So the vast majority of the service members just went along with this, with this vaccination, uh, presumably against their better judgment. It is part of the culture of the military, though, for service people to be vaccinated. They're like, 
pin cushions, the number of needles that they take for deployments all over the world. There, there are a lot of requirements in a lot of different countries. And I have spoken to uh, friends of mine that, that that is their exact mentality, that, well, I get poked with so many different things. Every time I go overseas, they poke me with something else. It's just one of another vaccine of many that I've received before. So to me, that gets back to what we were saying about changing the definition of the vaccine, because if they just using that word vax, it's like, well, this is just another vax. This is like you get the flu shot, you get hepatitis, all these things. But the reality is this shot, the COVID shot is qualitatively different than those other shots. And I think that's one of many things that's insidious about it. Uh, it's making people think that this is something very similar to what they've gotten before, when in reality, this is a new technology and inherent, just not, not proven to be safe, despite what they say. Yes, yeah, so they assume that it was going to be just like the other needles that they took in the arms, but then there's been a bunch of the, the died suddenly and the and the political and cultural issues that blew up around the vaccine and the fact that it was rushed through in a way that was so much different than everything else that had been been explained in the past, the necessity of going through the, the seven or nine year testing process and having the FDA do the, the double blind tests and all of these sort of things that, that were thrown out the window for Operation Warp Speed. And so it probably did open a lot of people's eyes to the fact that this this was qualitatively different than than vaccines that they had received in the past and something else that caught my uh, eye there's um, a technical term in in the military um, when you had when you can change you under certain circumstances you can get a change to a, they call it a correction of your military record and I'm certainly not an expert on this but from my research the only uh, I'm reading from the government's website. Um, they say, quote, to justify any correction, it is necessary to show to the satisfaction of the board that the alleged entry or omission in the records was an error or unjust. So if that if if that's the only two ways you can get a quote correction is you show that it was an error or unjust. Is uh, is the military admitting that uh <laughs> Having the VAX requirement was either erroneous or unjust. Does, does this even matter? Are we foolish to even talk about this to, to apply rationality again and, and logic? Yeah, I think tacitly that is the admission. If you read between the lines in in the preamble of all the bluster about how effective the vaccine was and how, how great it was that our it made our military force ready to fight and, and perform so stellarly as they have, uh, across the globe over the last few years, I, I, that that is a conclusion that you can't help but draw. And uh, I'm going to give just a, a little more information on the the recruiting. I really I think it's fair to call it a crisis. Um, if you think that the military industrial complex should keep rolling on as it has, I think there there genuinely is a, a crisis for that machine to keep rolling. Um, so I have this article from uh, military.com. Of the five Defense Department service branches, only two met their active duty and listed recruiting goals for fiscal year 2023, the Marine Corps and the Space Force. Uh, and those are by far the smallest services and have the, the lightest recruiting burden. So the other three, the Army, Air Force, and the Navy fell short. So every service with the exception of the Marine Corps, which barely met their uh, met their numbers. 
Why do you think they're missing these numbers? It's uh, another confluence of factors. There's a large percentage of the potentially eligible population that is ineligible for psychological, mental, physical reasons. Uh, there also is, I think there's kind of a fatal conceit that the military industrial complex thought following 9-11, uh, the second Iraq war, the perpetual war on terror, the shifting of the military from uh, something that's surprising back in the Vietnam era, vets and current active duty military were, were two to one Democrat at the time. And now fast forward to today and that, that ratio has flipped almost the perfectly where it's two to one Republican. And so I think the presumption was that middle America would, would provide fodder, military fodder indefinitely, no matter what happened to the military, it was still going to be people who wanted to be Marines were still going to become Marines. People who wanted to become Green Berets were going to become Green Berets. And it didn't matter if, if the, the woke recruiting ads talked about lesbians with uh, Hispanic lesbians with mental issues and how they had overcome social anxiety and that sort of thing, or or the Rachel Levine types, the things that we wouldn't historically conflate with um, military desirability. I think that the thought was that because the military was one of these always trusted institutions that they could do whatever they wanted, and we would still get the recruitment numbers that we needed to get. And we're finding out that that's, that's not the case. Uh, and they are, uh, I have noticed a change in the, I guess you'd call it the public, re- public relations aspect when, as you said, I think it was probably two, three, four years ago when they had that lesbian ad where she talked about the two mommies from San Francisco um, and then I noticed, in contrast, just uh, in the last month or two, they seem to be revisiting that classic uh, campaign from, I believe, the 1990s, Be All That You Can Be. And it's very consi- It's a uh, lot less melanin in those ads. Yeah, yeah, there was that, that one that went pretty viral on Twitter that the that uh, the every I think almost all of them there was maybe one black male uh, sergeant, but almost everybody in in the ad was was middle American traditional from central casting for what you would expect to have as a, as a soldier. And, go and, and the, the reaction to those so talk about a, a, an advertisement getting ratioed. It was really comical to read through how, how obvious it was to at least the, the commentary on, on Twitter that, that the, the, they're, they're really singing a different tune now that the, shortfall in personnel recruitment had become real. And uh, I also can't help but think the, the the renaming of many of the bases has some sort of effect on, like you were saying, it's just another example of the establishment thinking that they can basically do whatever they want. They can run ads about uh, black lesbians, that's who they, they want to recruit. They can change the names of the bases. Uh, I mean, the, historically, it's still the case, I assume, that um, military recruits come dis- are disproportionately white Southern men. And their ancestors, many of them fought in the Confederacy and uh, fought, probably fought with the men whose, uh, whose names are on those bases that they've changed now. 
in the South. Yeah, t- changing the names of the military bases is a really on-point way of of telling that historical demographic base of the military that this we're not interested in you. We don't we don't want you here. You're not welcome here. Um, but we still need you here. I think <laughs> is what we're discovering now because as the the military as we get involved in in Eastern Europe and now with the conflagration in the Middle East and the saber rattling with China over Taiwan, we're finding out that this isn't like a lot of other aspects of contemporary, uh, the, the contemporary world in terms of like academia and a lot of these cubicle farms uh, and these positions that are filled with people like big corporations hiring people for affirmative action reasons, people who don't necessarily need to do anything. There's so much bloat, but they can still afford to lard the companies up with the bloat. That's different in the military because when it comes down to it, you need people to be on the ground with guns, with boots on the ground, and be able to competently execute missions. So we're recording this on December 9th, 2023. And right now there's a kabuki theater going on between the Republicans and the Democrats. They're supposedly wrangling over approving a budget. The Republicans are saying that we're happy to sign off on $10 billion to send to Israel, to send to Ukraine, to send to China and Taiwan. But you have to give us in return a little bit more border security. And first of all, I find it, as an American, I genuinely find it humiliating that border security is nothing more than just a chip, a tool that these politicians, the establishment throws back and forth just um, as a bargaining chip. It's, it's almost something incidental rather than the whole point of their existence. I'm looking at a Wall Street Journal article from uh, December 4th. So it, it, the headline is, U.S. running out of money for Ukraine in war with Russia, White House warns. And the, President Biden uh, has outlined a $106 billion proposed, quote, aid package for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. And the package requested about $60 billion to fund the Ukraine war effort and replenish U.S. weapons stocks. And uh, looking through this, uh, many arguments, the the standard uh, national security arguments, and this is actually going to protect the United States. Those kind of arguments are made, of course. But one thing that stood out, something that stood out to me in the article, I'm quoting the um, the White House used Monday's letter to make the case to skeptical Republicans in Congress that funding will offer direct benefits to the U.S by boosting the American defense industry. 60% of the money that has been approved so far by Congress has supported the U.S. defense industrial base or boosted defense department and intelligence operations, she wrote. So uh, you don't usually see the military industrial complex laid quite so bare uh, as you do there. So what do you make of that? It's standard Keynesianism. It's the United States spends more on its military than what the next next top top two through ten countries combined. And the argument here is that 
spending even more will will continue to to boost the economy and will pay dividends to Americans. So do you think they've given up on the the vaunted counteroffensive that we heard so much about back earlier this year? They, this was it. This was going to be Ukraine's way to push back Russia and just we just need a little bit more support. And here we are at the end of 2023 and we're essentially at the same point we were or maybe Russia's actually made some progress since then. Yeah, Russia's going to end up with more lands than than what they would have ended up if if Zelensky and Putin would have come to a, a ceasefire agreement a year and a half ago, the one that was was killed by Boris Johnson and, and the West. Uh, but it's just being respawned now as a victory that, that Ukraine only lost 20% of its land and was able to hold on to 80%. Um, but th- this whole, this bill came up short. I think it was it was over immigration is where the issue broke down, but it, it got voted down, this funding request. And I wonder how much of the, how many of the Republicans even care about securing the border. Do you think maybe a few are genuinely want to secure the border? Or like I said, is this just another, is this all kabuki theater and, and they're just using the border as simply a bargaining chip? Oh yeah, it's it's all theater. There, how much money does it take to secure the border? There, it's a question of will, not a question of, of funding. It doesn't matter how many people you have at the border if the process is that when migrants come and meet up with border agents and claim asylum that they are processed uh, and then given asylum hearing dates that they're supposed to show up for and that if they do show up for something over 90 percent will get approved a lot of them won't show up for the asylum hearings at all and they'll just disappear into the interior of the country and so if you have 10 people doing that process at a checkpoint or 100 people or 1,000 or 10,000 people doing the processing at the checkpoint. If the process is still the same, then there's no amount of money that's going to to stop the crossings if there are no deportation actions either at the border where people are turned away or once people get into the country. So yeah, it's, it's clearly all just, just theater. Immigration is something that you've paid close attention to over the years. How has your thinking on that issue evolved? Well, it's more than my thinking on the issue of the United States as a unified political, cultural, economic entity uh, has changed. I think dissolution is in the future. I think the only thing that's tying the whole thing together right now is the economic convenience, the to really drill down the strength of the U.S. dollar, and that is in the process of breaking. And once that breaks, I think political dissolution will be will be right behind it. And so I no longer think of, when I contextualize these things, when I conceptualize them, I should say, I no longer think of what's happening in, say, New Mexico or Arizona, what's happening in my country. I, I'm a lot more focused on what's happening locally. Let's focus in on when you became truly blackpilled on the immigration demographic situation for the United States. In 2016, when when Trump was elected and the MAGA movement was at its highest point, at that point, did you still think there was, uh, there was some hope? I would say in 2014, 2012, 2010, I did not think that there was any hope. Uh, and even though I was one of the earliest uh, members to get on the Trump train long before a lot of people in my life, even people who, who politically were fellow travelers up to that point, got on the train. Um, 
I still thought it was it was too good to be true. But as I kept thinking it was too good to be true, I was really tied into sort of the meme magic and and uh, the insane reaction by all of the power centers to this person and the fact that his when you really distilled down what his campaign was about there were were three things that were just like if i had three wishes for what i would like to see change in contemporary america those three things were what he was about one it was his his campaign was like a his campaign was a, a referendum on a wall that was one thing uh, two, he had brought back the, quote, isolationist, unquote, Republican strain that existed on the American right all the way back in the America First movement, Charles Lindbergh, through uh, Barry Goldwater to some extent, and of course, people like Pat Buchanan. Uh, and then his campaign was also a, a war on the stifling political correctness that had that had, was in the process of threatening to, to destroy the the freedom of the internet from that golden age from like 2006 to 2016. Um, and so it, it felt like it was impossible not to feel as though maybe this was like the, the sort of Prester John that we had all been waiting for. And so I became a little bit more engaged Maybe there were a couple white pills in, in 2016, um, and then, of course, the election itself in 2017, but it quickly became apparent after that that, that he wasn't intellectually serious about what he was doing, and, and that was to be expected. He was a game show host. He's a celebrity, uh, but what I, I did have higher hopes, and that I thought he would at least, I mean, what he was famous for was personnel, right? It was The Apprentice being able to find the right person for the right job, and yet he just made terrible personnel choices one after another. He didn't know anybody in D.C. at all, and instead of taking somebody like Buchanan and making him chief of staff and just being like, hey, Pat, you know, tell me, is this guy for me or not? Pat Buchanan could have told him, yes, yes, no, 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 yes, no, yes, no. He could have gotten people like like Ann Coulter to do the same thing. Instead, he just, he, he brought on the people with the most impressive resumes. And so it quickly became apparent that he was in way over his head, that he was going to be stifled at every turn, and that he wasn't really even serious about a lot of the uh, campaign things. He, he'd been out on the campaign trail. He, he reacted to the crowds in those extemporaneous rallies that he did. He saw what lines get, got a lot of applause and what lines led to the crowd chanting. And, and so he calibrated his campaign message throughout the 2015-2016 campaign based on the feedback he got from the grassroots. But he there was no rigorous implementation of that at all once he got into office. And so I would say by 2017 or 2018, it, it, it was back to where I was in, in 2015, 2014. And before that, um, thinking that dissolution of the United States was inevitable, although I, I hesitate a little bit to call that a black pill because I think it's just inevitable. I, I think it's part of the dem demographic change. It's part of the cultural change. The United States is too big. Empires are not good. That's that's not what the the Western spirit is. 
So it sounds like you've really had a philosophical change, a philosophical change in your outlook on the United States as an entity and your role or your place within that entity. Is yeah, it's it's not my this it's not my country anymore. It's not a country for me. It's not a country for for my family for the people that I care about. I've to put it in Jack Donovan's words, I, I realized that I've become a new barbarian and that I'm effectively living in occupied territory ruled by people who don't have my best interests at heart. The well-being of the United States as an institution is currently constituted is no longer synonymous with the, the well-being of the United States is not synonymous with my own well-being. Effectively, I guess I'm, I'm saying that I'm rooting against the United States in a lot of these, these foreign conflicts. I can relate to that. It's actually been a disturbing change in my own outlook on things. I find my, I consider myself a very patriotic person, always have been growing up at least. But in the last few years, things have changed where it's to the point where I'm actively rooting against the United States. Uh, I hope that their, whatever the foreign policy objectives they're putting forth, I hope that they fail. I hope that Russia wins. I really don't <laughs> care what happens in Israel and Hamas. I, I don't care if Israel wins. All of these staples of foreign po- of the United States foreign policy objectives, I find myself rooting against them. Well, I, I what I don't want from Israel and Hamas is for refugees from that crisis to end up here in the Western world. That to the to the extent that I, I'm concerned at all, it's it's how it affects me and the people inside my Dunbar's number. And it's it's I'm so cynical now at this point where I, I don't think at all that any of the the ruling powers, any of the institutions of power in the West are concerned about the same things that I'm concerned about. So it really is in my interest my posterity's interest for these institutions to fail. And so to the extent that I... I think we both agree then that the bottom line is we know, we view ourselves as individuals as separate uh, from the United States as an entity. Not only separate, but opposed. Our, our, the interests are contrary to each other. Yeah, the things that the U.S. government is, is trying to do are to spread across the globe are things that are are antithetical to my best interests right well on that note let's wrap things up we've strayed a bit from our original topic but (laughs) hey well it's the inaugural uh inaugural recording of the the reality taboo and so we have we're setting a baseline here and so we only have up there's only one direction to go and it's up from here so we can i think we can sign off on that note